This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R I T E R U G.com today to schedule a free in home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hello and welcome to Save Our Production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about tacos. I am so excited to talk about tacos. <laughs> and this one goes out to Macy. Hello, Macy. A nine-year-old listener who wrote us a letter pointing out the fact that we ridiculously have not done an episode on tacos. She drew a picture of a taco with an arrow that says, this, this is, is a, a taco. taco, to make sure we got the point. We did. Point received. Yes. So thank you, Macy, and here you go. Yes, and to all other listeners out there, if you want us to do a topic really badly, apparently, just send us a, a drawing, <laughs> an arrow, <laughs> this is this, and we'll be like, okay, we'll be got like, it. Got it. Mm. <laughs> and I love tacos, so it doesn't take much persuading. Oh, no. No. And um, actually, it, it reminded me of when we were in Austin, and like when we first arrived, I was like, forget whatever you're about to do. Doesn't matter. We're going to lunch. We're going to Torchies. Oh, Torchies. Because it was near our... It was. It, we had a Torchies within walking distance. And for those of you who have not hung out in Texas, uh, it's a local chain, a mm-hmm. local taco chain. And they have a secret menu and everything there is incredibly delicious. Yes. And it was wonderful. And Obama arrived almost immediately after we left. <laughs> <laughs> that same Torchies. Still yeah. think about that. Goodness. Uh, we were that close. That mm-hmm. close. Um, yeah, Torchies, gosh, why are you not in my face right now? Um, free association times, taco is a homonym for a Japanese word for octopus. Um, 
And that oh, means yeah. <laughs> that means that um, there were some really funny mistranslations or possibly joke translations that happened back in the days when most um, English subtitling of, of Japanese anime was done and distributed by fans. <laughs> I bet there was. It was pretty great. <laughs> Free association times needs to be a, a recurring segment. Oh. Yes. Yes. I think that isn't that just our whole show? <laughs> <laughs> New title idea. <laughs> Anyway, that brings us to our question. Tacos. What are they? Well, tacos can be a lot of things, but essentially you're talking about a a handheld wrap, or more precisely like a foldover, consisting of various proteins, vegetables, and dressings contained by an outer layer of of thin, cooked, circle-shaped dough that that keeps your your paws relatively unmessy. Mm, relatively. Relatively, yeah. <laughs> Depends on how, how delicate you are, I yes. suppose. Ooh. Yeah, I would not call either of us. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> um, and traditionally, that outer layer is a tortilla, which is traditionally a round, unleavened flatbread made of corn masa, which is a dough made with a ground-up field corn that's been treated with an alkalizer to, to loosen the hull and make it easier to grind and also make it sticky and more digestible. And it, it, this is how you make hominy. Hmm. The treatment process is called uh, nishtamalization after a Nahuatl word for hominy, and uh, you can hear all about that in our tamale episode. Yes. Outside of Central America, wheat flour tortillas are the ones you're more likely to find, um, or uh, or taco dorados, which are golden tacos, which are uh, corn tortillas pre-shaped into a shell, like a U-shaped shell, and fried so that they stiffen up and give you a good crunch. That used to be my preference, like, and I was the odd one out of my group, yeah. and I always wanted the hard taco, but since moving to Atlanta, now I've moved on to soft taco. I don't know why this has given me <laughs> much pause for thought. <laughs> I, I have I, I have particular uh, crate. Most of the time, I want a, a soft corn tortilla, mm-hmm. but um, but very occasionally, I'm like, I want I want that fried thing. I like the. It's crunch. so crunchy. The crunch, and especially with like like just a, like a total garbage North American taco, yeah. with, like with like ground beef and cheese and like yeah. lettuce. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's so good. That. It is. It is. <laughs> the word taco most likely comes from the Nahuatl word talaco, which translates to half or in the middle, or maybe it comes from ak from the same language meaning flat, or maybe it comes from the Spanish word taco for plug. And we'll get into why that might be a little bit later in the history section. Mm-hmm. Nutrition-wise, uh, you know, it's going to vary <laughs> just as widely as your tortilla and filling choices can vary. Um, a corner flour tortilla that's grilled instead of fried and, and filled with a grilled or roasted ingredients and maybe even a vegetable. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's a sustaining, nutritious snack. A few make a meal. Uh, fried shell, fried fillings, lots of cheese, super fatty or highly salted fillings. That's, that's in the treat category, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Some American fast food chains that offer tacos, like Taco Bell, um, have come under fire for their particularly egregious use of fats and salts, like even compared with other fast food chains. So that is... That's saying something, for sure. For Um, sure. And I wanted to put in here, uh, have have y'all seen those those mushroom-based, like, partial meat substitute products or recipes? Mm -hmm. Like a... Like 
ground mushrooms mixed in with ground beef for a, for a healthier or more environmentally chill alternative to just straight ground beef. Mm-hmm. Uh, ground beef for tacos is one of those things that some researchers and the U.S. Mushroom Council are, <laughs> uh, are suggesting would benefit from this application in terms of reducing fat and sodium content without reducing the consumer's experience. Ah. One study even found that test subjects preferred the lower-sodium 45% mushroom taco. Sponsored by the Mushroom Council. If we look at numbers, in the U.S., we eat an annual 4.5 billion. Billion. Billion? Tacos. Billion. Mm -hmm. Heck. An annual 4.5 billion. Taco seasoning, Taco Bell cheese, taco kits, taco shells. Those those taco shells with the flat bottoms so they don't fall (laughs) over. Those taco stands, in case you don't want the ones with the flat bottoms, you can put them in the stand. (laughs) I love, I, I get really excited when I go into a restaurant and I see that they have taco stands. Yeah. For some reason, it makes me super happy. Those kind of specialized devices. Yeah. They, they bring me joy as well. <laughs> um, taco trucks. Taco Tuesdays that we we will be talking about yes. that later. Um, Korean tacos. All sorts of tacos. And we do have some specifically Taco Bell numbers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And unfortunately... I say unfortunately. No, I agree. Taco Bell was voted America's favorite Mexican restaurant in 2018. Much apologies, Mexico. Yeah, we would like to personally apologize on behalf of our country. Mm -hmm. I do have some friends who freaking love it. I don't think they would say it's their favorite Mexican restaurant, though. I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, Taco Bell serves 2 billion tacos a year. And uh, just recently, there was a story of that dude that survived on Taco Bell hot sauce packets. He was trapped in his car with his dog. Oh, right. And uh, now he gets free Taco Bell for life, I think. Huh. Remember that correctly? Okay. Huh. Um, and I, uh, for some reason, I remembered the tie-in with Godzilla. I have no idea what that is. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, but you remember that. <laughs> how could you forget the 1998 Godzilla with Matthew Broderick? <laughs> I still haven't seen that film. Oh, the soundtrack has P. Diddy on it, <laughs> who at the time was Puff Daddy. <laughs> so they're all very important cultural testaments. But um, <laughs> featuring Jimmy Page, our producer Andrew just reminded uh-huh. me. And Hank Azaria. Yes, but there was a tie-in with uh, Taco Bell and um, that Chihuahua. Oh, that was the days of the Chihuahua. Yeah, Yokira Taco Bell. Oh, geez. And he was trying to lure... Godzilla into a box. I do remember that. See, I knew you would recall. (laughs) I just had to explain it a little bit. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, um, hopefully we won't we we won't be talking too much. I mean, Taco Bell is a whole thing, and we'll we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, uh, We've got some some other history for you. Yes, uh, that is actually Mexican. Mm-hmm. Um, but first, we're going to get into a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. 
Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So to start off here, there are a lot of unknowns in the taco's origins. Yes. It's origin story, if you will. Mm -hmm. According to author Jeffrey M. Pilcher, who spent 20 years traveling the world researching Mexican food, the taco probably was an invention of necessity and convenience. Like a very long time ago. Yeah. Uh, because uh, this this should be a separate episode probably, but briefly, let's talk about tortillas. Yes, which are key in taco formation. They are. As I said earlier, the original tortillas were these corn masa tortillas. Um, by around 6,000 BCE, peoples in Mesoamerica had started to domesticate wild maize. And by around 2,500 BCE, they were making uh, mesa, corn dough. So a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, yes. And the tortilla itself goes Back to a long time ago, at least until 1500 BCE, when Montezuma reportedly used the tortilla as a spoon. Makes sense. Men heading off to work would take food wrapped in tortillas with them for lunch. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When Hernando Cortez arrived in 1519 to Mexico, they found the indigenous peoples ate flat cornbreads, and they named them tortillas. The Spanish, yes. Yes. Bernal Diaz del Castillo, who arrived with Cortez and wrote A True History of the Conquest of the New Spain, Possibly described the first taco party. What? And, yeah. And he described tacos uh, stuffed with everything from pork to locust. Uh, yeah, pork. The Spanish brought pigs with them to the Americas, uh, adding pork meat and fat to the culinary scene there. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. 18th century silver miners in Mexico needed an easy, cheap, handheld food option. In the silver mines, the word 
taco refer to charges that they use to get to the ore, charges of gunpowder wrapped in paper, so kind of taco-like. Sure. Yes, and like we said at the top, that's one of the reasons that maybe that's where the word comes from. But the word taco didn't appear in any records until the 19th century. The 19th century! (laughs) One of the first instances of tacos um, was tacos de mineros, or miners' tacos. The 1891 novel Los Bandidos del Rio Frio mentioned tacos and seems to indicate they were already around in Mexico City by that time. Mm -hmm. And with industrialization and the moving of people into working class neighborhoods, especially in places like Mexico City, um, people moving into the city brought with them foods and cooking styles from their homes. So all sorts of foods were available and melding together. This was the birth of the taqueria. And not just as a standing restaurant, um, tacos were often sold as a street food, often by women uh, who would carry them around in baskets and just kind of boop, boop them out. They would boop them out. Mm -hmm. Um, Really, we could do an episode on several specific type of tacos, like a taco miniseries. Oh, yeah. Um, You heard about Tacos El Pastor in our shawarma episode. Yeah, those came a little bit later in like the 1920s with the migration of Lebanese people to uh, Puebla and other parts of Mexico. The first mention of a taco in the United States took place in a 1905 newspaper article. This is around the time when Mexican migrants started making their way to the United States, primarily to work in the mines or on railroads. And they brought with them their food, like tacos. But other Americans regarded them as lower-class food. We talked about this a bit in our tamale episode. Tacos were associated with things like the San Antonio Chili Queens, which was this group of women who sold foods at festivals to make some extra money. With the advent of tourism via railroad in the 1880s, business rose enough to warrant nightly sales. And they topped the list of things to do in Mexico. Um, Tourists described the food as biting like the serpent. Of course, the Chili Queens were sexualized and seen as exotic and, quote, available, which added to the allure for tourists. Back in Mexico, the upper classes had begun gentrifying tacos. Newspapers were printing recipes that incorporated expensive ingredients and European trends, uh, like a dessert called Tacos de Crema that published in 1908 in El Diario del Hogar, which uh, roughly translates to like the household daily or like the newspaper of the home, Mm. depending on how you want to read it. Uh, It... (laughs) This recipe called for French-style crepes filled with pastry cream, rolled up like tacos, arranged in a pyramid, covered in meringue, and decorated with strawberries and orange blossoms and violets. Pretty far cry from, like, taking my lunch to work by... Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I would say so, Lauren. (laughs) The 1929 cookbook Ramona's Spanish-Mexican Cookery by Pauline Wiley Kleeman came with six taco and taquita recipes, including pork tacos and, like, every part of the pork. Liver, kidney, jowls, liver. I said liver twice because it's that important. (laughs) Snout and ears. Yeah, and that was an American cookbook. Yes. Tacos went more mainstream here in the States when the children of these first migrants grew up, this first wave of migrants. Um, Many of them fought in World War II. Their wages were increasing, and they wanted to be able to get Mexican food, and it wasn't really there. However, this Mexican food that they came out with was kind of more of a blend. So in the case of tacos, like using processed and cheap shredded cheese, processed hamburger meat, tomatoes, iceberg lettuce, Kind of how we think of a taco, like the, you know, fast food American taco today. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. 
One of the first uses of small gas-powered and electric engines in the 1940s and 50s was making masa. By the 1960s, small tortilla-making machines could make tortillas every two seconds. And then we get to Ensenada, Mexico, which is a port town, and they claim to have invented the fish taco after they opened their large fish market in 1958. Uh, for sure, fish tacos existed earlier than that. I mean, like thousands of years <laughs> earlier than that. Um, but also, uh, the railroads built in the 19-teens brought fresh seafood into Mexico City, like right when taco culture was booming. Mm. And fish tacos really took off in San Diego in 1983. Ralph Rubio, who tried and fell in love with fish tacos while in Baja, Mexico, um, he, he returned home and found he couldn't find them anywhere. So he went back to Baja, Mexico <laughs> and went back to his favorite hole in the wall place. And he tried to convince the chef to come back with him to San Diego and open a restaurant together. And the chef refused. But he did, very kindly in my book, give Rubio <laughs> his recipe. And Rubio went on to open Rubio's, which uh, their claim to fame is, quote, home of the fish taco. Hmm. People from San Diego, please write in. Like, that came up many times that the fish taco is so popular in San Diego. Cool. I've been. I don't seem to recall being like, wow. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been to San Diego. Yeah. It's nice. It's nice. During a recession in the 1950s in San Vicente, residents started to sell basket tacos. And to this day, taco makers on bikes set off in the morning with baskets of tacos and jars of green and red salsa, whole thing covered with a tarp and set up shop outside of universities and offices, which is smart. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it is time to talk about the fast food taco and one Glenn Bell. Yes. That Bell. Yep. <laughs> of the taco fame. <laughs> According to Bell, the key to the fast food taco was a pre-fried U-shaped shell, which he claims to have invented in the 1950s. However, patents existed for this very product in the 1940s awarded to Mexican restaurateurs. Uh, Mexican-American, yeah. Yes. Mexican cookbooks from that same decade included recipes for making these, frying up tortillas and bending them into the shape, and people were probably doing it. Even before that. Oh, sure. Um, but, yeah, we, we could do a whole dang episode about Bell and his business because the, the, I, had to, I had to stop. I had to stop myself. Yeah. It seemed pretty fascinating. But I was like, okay. <laughs> Later. Concentrate. Later. The first Taco Bell opened in 1962, and the franchise went public in 1972. And Glenn Bell started opening them first throughout L.A., but not in Mexican neighborhoods. Restaurants with taco in the name were a way to bring in non-Mexican-Americans for Americanized Mexican food. Uh, yeah, outside of Taco Bell, which was following in, in the footsteps of, of Ray Kroc's McDonald's concept, there were all kinds of, of fusions going on in these Anglo taco restaurants. Um, my favorite was uh, Jewish fusions, like kosher pastrami tacos. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I have it. never heard of that. Me neither. <laughs> I want to try them. Yeah. Um, but as fascinating as like delicious sounding as that is, um, it's, it's really telling of the racism and classism that was going on at the time. Los Angeles had resegregated through the 1940s and 50s, and racial tensions in the 60s were still really high. Um, Mexican restaurants catering to Mexican-Americans avoided using the word taco in, in their names. Right. And Taco Bell has never been successful in Mexico despite numerous attempts. Uh-huh. <laughs> makes, makes sense to me. It does. I can't imagine why 
their racist racist caricatures of Mexico's <laughs> culture would make Mexicans not like them that much. That's weird. Very strange. In the 60s, a few brands brought pre-fried taco shells to supermarkets across America. The first Del Taco opened in California in 1964. It made $169, which I believe was 900 tacos. It was a lot. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And in 1969, another thing that popped up a lot for me, um, the originator of the Australian Taco Bill (laughs) franchise uh, opened in Gold Coast by a Mexican-American who had migrated there. From what I understand, they kicked off a pretty widespread Australian interest in Mexican food. I don't—this is not a a sweeping generalization, but I do want to say the worst quesadilla I ever had in my life. I had in Australia. (laughs) I ordered a quesadilla, and I got iceberg lettuce— and cold cheese. Oh, that's not <laughs> what I think of. <laughs> Still mad about it, clearly. <laughs> I remember thinking, well, maybe this is like a salad that Before, comes with it. Yeah. And I didn't know, but clearly it was not. That was just crossed wires. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it happens, happens. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> and we do have some some more history for you listeners. Mm-hmm. But first, we're going to pause for one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. Roller coaster. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. 
We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with legal drama. Legal drama about tacos? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Listeners know I love some legal drama. (laughs) Despite never having seen Law & Order. (laughs) I like the more boring kind of real-life legal drama. Um, But to start off this story, I have to admit something to you. I have never heard of Taco John's. Taco John's. Neither have I. Hmm. Well, apparently it's a Midwest thing. There's 400 locations based in Wyoming. It first opened in 1969, and it's one of the largest taco chains in the United States. And... (laughs) In 1989, they coined the phrase Taco Tuesday. This legal drama has to do with Taco Tuesday. It does. It has everything (laughs) to do with Taco Tuesday. They legit registered, trademarked it. Oh. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. (laughs) This is so silly. I know. I love it so much. (laughs) Like, intensely. Yes. Which makes me wonder how they got away with it in the Lego movie, if you've ever seen it. But, yeah, this means that no one else is technically supposed to use that phrase in, like, an advertising or official capacity. Um, And I'm sure that you can already see the problem here. Yeah. It's a derby pie situation, as we Mm. like to call it here at Saber. Um, Every (laughs) couple of years, Taco John sends out cease and desist letters to small restaurants using that phrase. And they don't care if it makes them look bad or mean. On their website, it reads, we started it. We even trademarked it. That's how seriously we take tacos. <laughs> and in 2016, a spokesperson said it would be, quote, unfathomable for them not to protect it. It's part of our DNA. Taco Tuesday is this American institution. Not to take the chance to talk about it and our story, that would go against who. This is the stuff movies should be about. <laughs> Taco Tuesday. Taco Tuesday. <laughs> but more intrigue here. According to them, the phrase originated from a franchisee in Minnesota in the early 80s who first called it Taco Tuesday, like the number. Um, but then they have another claim on their very own website that contradicts that claim. <laughs> This one puts Taco Tuesday out of South Dakota in 1983. And there's another claim from Taco John's that puts it in 1982. They can't get their own story straight. (laughs) Getting worked up. (laughs) Um, And Taco Tuesday goes all the way back to 1933. Three tacos on Tuesday for 15 cents in El Paso. Ah. But it wasn't really called Taco Tuesday, if we want to get technical about this whole thing, which apparently everyone does. The first recorded instance of that took place in 1973 in South Dakota. Another instance took place in Kansas City in 1975. Mexican chain Baker's Drive-Thru had a Taco Tuesday special going all the way back to 1967, which might have been a one-off but was established by 1976 as a regularly occurring thing. To this day, they advertise Taco Tuesdays. Oh. Mm -hmm. New Jersey's Gregory's Restaurant and Bar successfully filed for a trademark on Taco Tuesday in 1979. So round about those parts, they own it. Oh. Mm -hmm. If we skip ahead to 1997, 
Laguna Beach restaurant Tortilla Flats filed a federal lawsuit over the use of the phrase Taco Tuesday at seven other restaurants, claiming it was infringement and demanding $5 million over Taco Tuesday. They settled outside of court. Good. That same year, Taco Tuesday was getting in some legal trouble in Canada. Taco Time Canada sent a cease and desist to a small cantina in Calgary for trademarking the phrase. And if we skip ahead to around about now, something similar recently happened in Australia with the Salsa's Fresh Mix chain, which sent a cease and desist to two competitors over the phrase. Man, I never thought that that Taco Tuesday would be so so controversial. Yeah. People want ownership of that phrase, and we just throw it about willy-nilly <laughs> in our everyday lives. <laughs> it was a pretty important plot in the <sighs> Lego movie. <laughs> yeah. I, I, we're... It's causing potential taco losses. It's true. It's true. Well, that's the end of the legal drama around Taco Tuesday. Meanwhile. Uh, Meanwhile, Raul Martinez often gets credit for opening the first taco truck in 1974. He took an ice cream truck and flipped it into a taco truck and parked it outside of bars in L.A. That is so smart. And people loved it, enough so that he was able to open a brick and mortar called King Taco in six months. And now it's a chain worth millions of dollars. Also started a taco truck trend, part of the street food trend in L.A. that is now worth billions. Yeah, yeah. I, I would I would hazard that without the taco truck mm-hmm. here in the United States, we would not have gotten the amount of uh, uh, street food. Food yes. trucks in general that we now have. Yes. Yes. I went to a taco truck festival many years back. Mm. And it was just like 28 taco trucks. Wow. Mm-hmm. From Atlanta. <laughs> Thing of beauty. Mm-hmm. In 1985, tacos went to space. space. Mexican astronaut Rafaldo Neri Vela requested tortillas as part of his provisions. And you can hear all about this in our space food episode, but uh, tortillas would become the cooked dough of choice for NASA because it doesn't crumble like risen breads or crackers. Crumbs can float into instruments and cause all kinds of trouble. Uh, NASA had troubles with uh, tortillas' shelf life, but they wound up using tortillas from a manufacturer that sells to Taco Bell, which had come out with a 12-month shelf-stable product in the 1990s, Um, though they do say that they uh, use fresh ones for short, shorter missions. Hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. In 2007 or 2008, I'm not sure which, uh, the Nickelodeon teen sitcom iCarly featured spaghetti tacos, which became a whole thing, apparently. Apparently, if you ask a child who, or a human person who was a child around that time, there are so many recipes for this online. Uh, I mean, yes, it's just like spaghetti with red sauce stuffed in a fried taco shell, but. I vaguely remember that. Yeah. Yeah. No. I don't know. I, I felt like I should mention it. Yes. Uh, something else that uh, we felt like we should mention. And oh, as Lauren knows, everyone in this office knows, I'm very eager to talk about this just because I found it fascinating. It's pretty cool. All right. Cool ranch. Oh, <laughs> it'll all make sense in a minute, but I bet a lot of you are like, oh, boy. <laughs> in 2009, three years before Taco Bell turned the big 5-0, the CEO sent out a company-wide request calling for submissions to reinvent the crunchy taco. Okay. Sort of like the equivalent of a, a new bread for your sandwich, which other fast food chains are always doing. 30 different products were entered for consideration. One stood out above all the others. The submission from Frito-Lay 
Frito-Lay. Yes. A Doritos-based taco <laughs> shell. It was just an image with a description. I, I want to put that in there. There was no actual product. <laughs> but everyone was like, yes, this thing. We must make this thing. And at first, they took a standard shell and used a spray gun to cover it with Doritos nacho cheese flavoring. And they brought it in, and 200 customers tested it out, and consensus was pretty much, <gasps> this is terrible. No. Oh. oh yeah. Uh, but that didn't stop Taco Bell and the DLT, as they call it internally, um, <laughs> from launching in 2012. And they went on to sell $450 million, and they made way for the Cool Ranch Doritos Locos Tacos. Yeah, uh, they were selling one million of these things per day when they first came out. Yes, but there was there was some steps in there that brought them to this this cultural... Yeah, because it was a long and arduous uh, research process. Yes. And the problem was two different types of corn masa that the products used. They didn't mesh. So the Doritos uses a different one than the, the taco shells did. Ah. Um, and for two years, a team tackled this from all angles. <laughs> Structural integrity. Seasoning mechanics. Crunchability. You've all heard that study about um, Doritos, how they found a way to remove the dust, right? Like, so it wouldn't get on your fingers. Uh But then everyone was like, nah, that's not Dorito. That's not Doritos experience. People want that (laughs) Yeah, the mess. Yeah. And the same was true with the taco. There were 40 prototypes. 40? 40. (laughs) People who worked on this project described it as a huge engineering challenge. Okay. Yeah, because the shells had to be mass-produced, bendable, but not breakable. Unlike a chip. A chip can break. Sure. And they can't be seasoned in the same way that a flat chip would be either by tumbling them about in a rotating seasoning barrel because— Oh, yeah, because they would break. Exactly. Taco Bell had to make their own seasoner to solve this problem. (laughs) Without it, the manufacturing facilities would have been filled with a nacho cheese gas. (laughs) That is a phrase that I read in a scientific article, everybody. (laughs) Nacho cheese gas. And this was all done without a contract between Frito-Lay and Taco Bell. They launched without one. Um, And so these tacos entered a few select cities slowly, and people went wild for them, like posting about them, writing about them. And, you know, then the demand increased because everyone was like, why can't I get one of these things here? Um, The company quickly realized they'd have to build two plants specifically for these Doritos Locos taco shells. Yeah, in the first week, they sold millions. The company saw a 13% increase in sales during their second quarter that year, and that never happens. Wow. Never. And then after that, a contract between the two companies was signed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The New York Times talked to a a food scientist about this phenomenon of the Doritos taco. Um, And we touched a little bit on the science of snack foods in our Cheetos episode, how, how researchers balance a few sensations to make snacks tastier and more craveable. Mm-hmm. And the Doritos taco hits all of them. Uh, you got you got flavors balanced just so, so that they're they're salty and piquant, but not too strong. Like they, they don't trigger what's called a sensory specific uh, satiety, aka you don't go, you know, that's enough of that flavor for now. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm just about done there. Mm-hmm. You just want to keep eating it. Um, the scent of cheese and garlic is supposed to trigger nostalgia. Um, they contain both lactic and citric acids, which trigger saliva production. And they've got dynamic contrast, which is uh, that that crispy shell and then the fatty filling. Mm. I've never had one. Have you had one? Nope. Um, I felt kind of bad including it, but I, I was so fascinated with how long it took, 
how dedicated they were to it, <laughs> the science. Like those words I read about like crunchability, they, they were people legit oh, yeah. working on it. Absolutely. Like really hard, like engineers mm-hmm. and uh, whole teams. It's uh, – I mean that is like the Americanization of the taco to the – Oh, all it, the way, all yeah. the way up. <laughs> Hardcore. Yeah. It was interesting, though. I, I actually had to edit some of the stuff I put in there because otherwise this whole episode would have just been <laughs> me like, did you know this many people worked on it? And it uh, I've been annoying everybody in the office for days. <laughs> um, so moving on, a 2010 article out of the New York Times about the Korean taco, because I, I tried to look into I couldn't find too much specific information about the Korean taco, but it puts one of the first popular U.S. instances at one of my favorite ATL restaurants. Oh, really? Hand-cooked taquillera. Okay. Yeah. Um, which are some of my favorite fries in the city, and I'm still angry that I forgot to mention them in our French fries episode. Oh, no. Yeah, very good fries. Um, but the place that usually gets the elusive first designator in this country is Koji out of L.A., the brainchild of Roy Choi and Mark Mangara. People were making these before this, but they popularized it for sure. Sure. In 2012, uh, an MIT grad hoaxed the Internet with his vision of the taco copter. This is a quadcopter drone that claimed to be in beta testing to deliver tacos straight to your door to consumers, or I mean, I guess wherever you are, really, yeah. uh, for, for consumers in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, beta was not the right word for it. It was really just a concept that the designer, Sam Simpson, was, was really taken with. And the country was taken as well. I forgot about the taco copter. Taco copter! That's a fun <laughs> throwback. <laughs> Yeah, there's like legal issues with uh with with <laughs> airspace and um, and taco delivery and stuff. Yeah, so there have been a few food delivery via drone, drone stunts, but yeah, we're we're we're, st- we're a few years out, I think, in terms of like legal definitions of of flight. Well. If they can get into arguments around Taco Tuesday and we can make a Doritos Locos taco, then I believe we can get there one day. I don't know if it'll be a good or bad thing, but people have an insatiable love for tacos. Yeah, and and human ingenuity when it comes to getting tacos. (laughs) Uh, It's endless. Indeed. Indeed. (laughs) The humble taco. The humble taco. Soaring to great new heights. <laughs> as big as space. Well, I guess, yeah. Yes. Space yeah. is higher than a drone goes. So. <laughs> what? <laughs> My whole concept of how the world works is shifted. <sighs> yeah. This, uh, this just about brings us to the end of our taco episode. Yes. But it brings us to listener mail. Taco copter taken off. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, heck. Rashmi wrote, My family is Indian, specifically South Indian in origin, and although I was raised in freezing cold Massachusetts, where the jackfruit tree couldn't survive a day if I tried, I spent many summers visiting grandparents and extended family in South India. My maternal grandfather's way of saying, I love you, isn't verbal. Instead, to express his affection for me, my brother, and my cousins, he'd bring home and painstakingly cut and clean Pounds and pounds and pounds of fruit. Mangoes, guavas, an entire massive jackfruit. 
I'll never forget the first time I saw one. My grandfather had put it in the backyard area of his house, and while playing indoor tag, side note, kids, this is why you shouldn't play tag in the house, I ran into the backyard and hilariously tripped over and landed on it, causing me to have many scratches that looked like I had been poked by a porcupine with very dull quills. (laughs) I then proceeded to lie down next to it and discovered, to my amazement, that it was the same height as I was, and that if I tried, I could fully hide behind it. (laughs) Hide and seek became a theme in my family. Family with jackfruit. <laughs> One summer when we went on a family reunion of sorts in Kerala, a southern Indian state where jackfruit grows like weeds, we stayed at a resort with several jackfruit trees on the property. I was flabbergasted. I'd never seen a jackfruit tree in my life. The fruit grows right off the trunk, all up and down the tree, and looks like bulbous projections instead of growing off higher branches like the fruit we're used to here in America. My cousins and I played hide-and-seek on that trip, hiding behind and under jackfruit until hotel management noticed and freaked out. Those fruit are so heavy that if one of them had broken off the tree and fallen on one of us children, we would have been killed. The flavor of ripe jackfruit is definitely polarizing. It's never reminded me of mango or pineapple, as a lot of people say, but of really, really strong, floral-smelling honey. It has an overpowering sweet smell, almost sickly sweet, but the taste is much more understated. It almost has a generic fruit taste that's sweet and heady with just a touch of tartness at the back end. I love it. So much so that my cousin, my brother, and I once polished off a 20-kilogram jackfruit over the course of a day. But have developed a contact dermatitis to the raw fruit. Meaning that the inside of my mouth and my throat gets hives when I eat it now. Oh, I can still have it cooked, canned, or in chip form, though. If you'd like to get your hands on ripe jackfruit, it's definitely possible. My local Whole Foods store in the Washington, D.C. area sells whole fruit and cut pieces of the ripe fruit as well. However, if you want to make it easier on yourself, I'd recommend checking out your local Asian markets, especially those that cater to the Indian and Vietnamese communities. I've seen the clean, de-seeded ripe pods available for sale at Lata Plaza, a South Korean superstore with locations in the U.S., located in an area with a high Indian population. I've also seen them available as a dessert option at my favorite local banh mi joint. So I'm going to keep my eye out. Yeah. I do still have that dairy and ice cream, though. We really got to. We do. We do. Okay. Yes. But a lot of people have written in about uh, the jackfruit, and um, I've I've very much enjoyed it because, yeah, like we said, for us, it's kind of been... (laughs) <laughs> off the radar. Yeah, yeah. But. There's there's at least one Vietnamese grocer I know of that we could go check. Ooh. Yeah. Aaron wrote, When I saw the title for this week's podcast, Shwarma and Euros, I excitedly realized I finally had something of value about which to write you. But then you surprised me by already knowing quite a bit about the Halifax Donaire. But your lack of reference for garlic fingers is a sad, sad thing. If I could package them up and send them to you, I would in a minute. I live in New Brunswick, Canada, which is about four hours away from Halifax. So we share their love for Donaire sauce and, of course, use it in abundance on garlic fingers. But now to the more important question, what is a garlic finger? Garlic fingers begin as pizza dough, usually round, but really any standard pizza shape. It's then coated with garlic butter or sometimes garlic aioli and a hearty sprinkling of pizza mozzarella cheese. For an additional fee, many restaurants will add bacon bits. Oh, yeah, they will. (laughs) Um, They are almost universally served as a sort of pizza appetizer. Most All Atlantic Canadian pizza places include garlic fingers in all their combos. Garlic fingers are a wonderfully greasy and savory temptation that I would love to share with the whole world. I did not realize they were a regionalism until I was in university, and my out-of-town friends were surprised and delighted and quickly obsessed with our favorite pre-pizza snack. 
sounds amazing. Oh, that does sound amazing. So yeah, good. very similar to to garlic bread here in the United States, or, or like a like a pizza place's garlic bread. Yeah, because it's just pizza dough, but then like slathered in garlic butter and maybe some cheese. <laughs> It kind of cracks me up. I hadn't considered it until reading this, but it's funny how we have like a pre-pizza pizza. Right, right. We're like, you know what I need in addition to this giant flat of dough that I'm about to shove in my face? I'm going to need some more dough. With, with cheese on it. With cheese on it. <laughs> and then you dip it in, in pizza sauce. <laughs> what are we doing? What are we doing? We just like pizza. Oh. No argument. No <laughs> argument there. That is a topic long time coming. Oh, it is. It is. Oh, oh so many cravings happening right now. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks to both of them for writing in. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at saverpod. We do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thank you, as always, to our super producers, Andrew Howard and Dylan Fagan. Thank you to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at San Diego.org funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.